0: Hello and welcome to today's episode. I am so delighted to have Mark Nuss from Destiny Rescue back with me again. Welcome, Mark.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me back again. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Karen. Really appreciate it.
0: It is such a long time since we managed to get together and I apologize for that because The work that you do in Destiny Rescue is something that when I first heard about it, I actually thought, is this a bit of a scam? Like, that can't be actually happening. (laughs) And then you started sharing about what your charity actually does. And it's not, I was saying to somebody the other day, charity is actually the wrong word because You are all hands-on people doing this work. It's not arm's length like World Vision or anything like that. You guys get in there and do the stuff. So... Explain what it is you do, what your organisation is all about, and just talk me through all that, please. Yes,
1: yes. So so thank you so much, like I said before, Karen, for having me on again. I really appreciate it. For those that don't know about Destiny risk I'll just give a quick little introduction. We got started over 20 years ago by a gentleman called Tony Kerwin, who, the, as the story goes, overheard people, two guys bragging about the fact that they got offered, uh, um, actually it was two girls, to have sex with and do whatever they want and when I say girls, children. And that really rocked his world. And he started investigating it and realized what a big problem it is. Um, the World Labor Organization in, two, in their 2016-17 report had, had uh, worked out that about a million children were caught up in sex trafficking alone. And so it's a uh, the illegal sex industry is just a little bit of facts. Is it's a $99.5 billion a year industry. So you take Coca-Cola and Warner Brothers and a few and throw their profits together, uh, you'll you'll maybe get to that number. And also, according to the World Labor Organization, their report shows that about 73 to 74% of all children trafficked in the sex industry is in the Asia-Pacific region. So, and those are the countries we really focus on. So, what we do is there's their rescue. We learned on, like I said, going for 20 years, we've we worked out very quickly that we've got to go where these children are. If they had a way of saying, here I am, please help me, they would have received the help, but all their cries, their calls out goes on deaf ears. So we learned very quickly. We've got to go and go where they are. And a lot of this has been, a lot of this demand for for children in the sex uh, uh, illegal sex industry, has been created by this uh, sex sex tourists that come in from all over the world. So we learned very quickly. We've got to go undercover act like we're sex tourists, go into bars and brothels and every dingy docker we can find, looking for these children that have been trafficked into those places. And then once we find them in those places, we actually rescue them out of them, take them to our rescue centers where they get a trauma counsel, medical help. And then we set them up on individualized pathways of freedom. So sorry, my dog just barked in the bark background. That's the, joys, that's the joys of doing it from home. So once they're in our rescue centers, like I said, they get medical help, trauma counsel, and also individualized pathways of freedom, which includes education and vocational training, because we believe we've got to set them into a point where they can be in a place where they can choose their own destiny, not the one they were railroaded into. So for us, It is uh, uh, the rescuing of the actual children out of those dark holes is just the start. That's the start of their journey. And just to give a bit of a, a background, uh, in 2011, we drew a line in the sand and said, all right, we're going to start counting from 2011 because up till then, we were so busy expanding, growing, and and we realized we weren't really keeping clear records. So we thought, okay, make it zero from 2011. We're going to start counting. And then so from 2011, like I've got the figures right here, the latest figures, so I've just got to look down it to because I get a report every week. So, for, so, so far... We've now rescued 7,868 individuals since 2011. And this year alone, we're sitting at 2,066 rescues. And so to put that also in context, we we had actually budgeted to rescue 1,283 for this year. So we're already over by 161% of our, what we had budget, uh, targeted to rescue this year. And that is because people think COVID, all right, so that means not a lot of tourism happened during COVID, you know, especially six tourists flying in from all over the world. But when COVID happened, we initially thought the same thing. But what it is is these traffickers w- would actually have, be brilliant businessmen if they had a legitimate business. And they adapted their models that quickly that, that they could still utilize the traffic children and still keep on trafficking children during that period. And so we had to adapt. Last year, we rescued 751, but we adapted so well that, like I said, our numbers are uh, just for this year's 2,066 rescues from 751 last year. We offered all our permanent undercover guys if they wanted to go home and to their families when COVID hit, and they all said no. They said, these children get a chance to go home, so why should we? So that's a very short. <laughs> we do so much more, but that's a very short what we do
0: it's and um, one thing I want to highlight because I know the stories because I've spoken to you, yeah, it's yeah, not a matter of walking into some bar in, say, Thailand and saying, "No, that's a child. Give me a hand. let's go this way." Yeah, it's nothing like that, is it? No. Tell me just briefly what happens because it's dangerous for you as well as the child, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so uh, our guys, uh, very early on, because there was no manual written on, like I said, we started over 20 years ago. So we basically learned, uh, our guys learned as they, uh, as they went. And in the early days, there were knives pulled out and a whole bunch of stuff. So learned very quickly. So learned a lot of lessons what not to do. So it was like, okay, don't do that ever again. All right, that goes on our manual. But over time, we've really learned to do it well. So how we get into these places and why we operate so effectively is that our guys get trained up and... And we, we know how to basically fulfill that role as looking like we're just another dirty John that's flown in from from different parts of the world as a sex tourist. So we blend in with the rest of them. And that's why it's difficult for them to work out who's who, because we've learned to really do it well. So we act like we're sex tourists. We go in there. And, and that's the way we can get into these places. So now we've got, uh, that we're in certain countries that I can't mention because certain of our countries, if you go on our website, you'll see we mentioned clearly we're there. And then there's certain countries we don't mention purely because of political sensitive reasons. They don't like us drawing attention to it. But for, for example, we've got some uh, of our local staff that will go into certain areas. For example, we've got uh, in one of the, uh, these undisclosed nations, we've got a thing called temple prostitution. So temple prostitution, although that country will clearly say that we've made it illegal, it's illegal in writing, but a lot of times not in practice. And what happens, children from as young as four or five years old basically get pushed into that. And so us as Westerners can't go in, obviously, as, as sex tourists into those places, but our low, wonderful locals staff will actually go in and find these children and then rescue them out of those places as well. So, but yeah, that's how we get in. We've we've learned to really play the part and play it well to get into these places. And then once we've got, uh, we find a child, we'll then quietly offer them to that we want to rescue them. And 99.9% say yes, because of where they find themselves. One example, uh, one of our um, managers in one of our countries, uh, one of the stories that stands out for him, and I might've mentioned it before, but he was, he, he was involved in rescuing this 14-year-old girl. And once she got rescued, so she was so elated with her rescue. And But then suddenly she spun around and just looked him straight in the eyes and pointed her little finger in his face and said, where were you? Where were you four months ago when I was calling out for help, when I was crying for help? Where were you? And that really stuck with him because a lot of these children do cry for help, but it falls on deaf ears. And that's why we go where we go and do what we do to rescue these children out of those places.
0: How difficult is it sending them back to the families? Because I know for some from the conversations we've had previously, yeah. some of the children, it's just been entirely accidental that they've ended up there. And some of the children, yeah. it's to do with the families, isn't yeah.
1: it? So what we do is we've got, uh, we've got in our rescue centres, we've got social workers and community workers, and our community workers will actually... Uh, when the child comes to the rescue centre, they'll actually be be interviewed, and out of that, we'll find out how they got there, and then we'll also actually our community workers will follow up to make sure were the parents involved in the actual uh, uh, trafficking or not. Unfortunately, I would be I, I would love to say right here, no, no parents are involved, but unfortunately, there are. So um, that if Kind of sold their children, so we find out whether there's abuse at home, and whether it's safe for the children to go home, and that's for children that want to go home. So a lot of children, once they they were if they were sold off by their parents or some loved one, that they they don't want to go back anyway if there was abuse there. So that's quite easily. But the ones that said no, we want to go back home, and the parents went well. We'll find, we'll still check, and if if it looks like it's safe, we'll actually get them then there. And the one thing I just want to also let you yourself and your your viewers know as well is that. We never tell the parents that if a child is going to be reunited with their parents, we never tell the parents where we found the child because there's certain communities that uh, that will actually reject the child and even family members will reject the child if they find out where we found them or what they were doing, even if it wasn't their fault. Like we had a case like where one child was, uh, uh, um, we, we rescued her and her brother actually when you find out what what had happened to her, not her fault at all, put out a hit on her to get her taken care of so that they can protect the family name. So we make sure we never divulge. We just say we're an organization that the child needed some help. And that's how we get there. It's up to the child whether they want to share whether they uh, what they were found into. And also... Those that want to go back home, we'll get putting like a stipend in place where like um, maybe for viewers that don't know, a lot of times these children find themselves in trouble because they went looking for work. Their family was under financial pressure, so we'll help with a stipend. And there's different cases obviously from from, from all the individual ones, everyone's on their own individual journey, but we'll offer a stipend and then part of their, the conditions of that is that the child um, goes to school. So it's to help the child break that cycle as well. And also in in our centres, we've also got uh, different ways where we help them with vocational training, so that we help them with vocational training, so that they can be in a place where they uh, they can actually look after themselves and their families. Like for for instance, we we've we've had girls where we train them up to become in in house with our in in some of our rescue centres. Uh, um, to become beauticians so the beauticians is it's like a beautician school if you want to put it there but when we say beauticians, it's not like the beauticians we have in the western world so we try, train them up to become hairdressers to uh, uh, to do makeup and pedicures and manicures and and they um Go through the course, and once they that they've they've uh, gone through it and, and 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 they know what they do and they're ready to run their own little business, we'll actually give them all the equipment to start up with, and they'll go back to their village if, if it's safe for them to do that and start up their own little business. And like we've got different cases, but like the one one story stands out where we had these two sisters that were trafficked together, and we found them. Usually they'll split them up, but we found them together. Where well, they went through the beautician school, they went back to their village, and they set up their own little beauty salon. And when I said beauty salon it's literally just a wooden wooden shack and there's a top so if the top is down it means it's closed. if it's on top of the roof it's open but the local villagers were using it and they made a successful little business where they were feeding themselves and their family and then we've had girls that we've helped get get become nurses and uh, you name it so many different careers that they've ended up into so yeah it's quite a lot that goes into their whole journey to get them to a place of freedom
0: your dog's so cute, she's running. Oh, so sorry. <laughs> <That's great. laughs>
1: and I saw a child running back So, Hey, listen, this is the fun of, of covert.
0: Yeah, working from home. <laughs> yeah, totally. totally. Right. How do you keep the children safe when you rescue them? Because that must be a really dangerous time. Did have you ever been followed? Like, how did where are your houses shelters?
1: Yeah, no. We our places are usually we, we our rescue centres. We take them is usually removed from the areas we we rescue them from, and even in the cities where they might be, we ours is kind of some of them are kind of hidden away. People don't really know where they are, and yes, we just make sure that they're fingers crossed, but we've never been followed that we are aware of or the kids. And in some of our places, it's like a compound. So there's a security at the front and different things like that. So we make sure it's, a, we've learned a lot of lessons along the way. So we make sure it's a real safe place for them to go. Now, I just want to put a little caveat also. Our focus is rescuing children, but we do, because somebody's asked me that in the past, we do rescue adults if we come across their path. It's just like if somebody's drowning in the ocean, you don't have a lifeguard swimming up to them and going, hey, how old are you? While they're drowning in the go like, oh, 22, oh, too old, sorry, and turns back. So if we come across an adult that's been trafficked, we'll rescue them as well. Because trafficking is is illegal and wrong to force anybody to do anything, even if they're 22, 21 years old. And sometimes we'll find a 21-year-old, but she's been stuck there for five years. So she was trafficked as a child and never had a way to get out until we came and give her a way out. And just just also maybe with a little background, we've rescued, with all our figures, when you hear these numbers, we've also rescued children from... uh, The youngest we we, we got actually this year was two eight-month-old babies in two separate countries that we rescued. And then from that, every age up, we've rescued two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, 10-year-olds, you name it. Yeah, I don't
0: know what to say. I don't know what to say. And it's not just... Going into brothels and things, you also work at places like Borders, don't you? Yes, yes. And that never occurred to me. That- yes,
1: yeah, so, 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 yeah, we, we, we. Re- we try every which way to help children. So prevention is better. The ones that are stuck, you've got to rescue them because they're drowning. They need our help. That's paramount that we've got to rescue those that are stuck. But we try and stop those, a lot of children, before they get themselves in that problem. And so we're involved with what we call border rescues in Nepal. Um, Nepal surrounded by different countries, and their border is very porous and and they try; they would do the best they can. But we've we've actually helped build border stations for the Nepalese government, and we've also got border stations that we we work in. We don't work at every single one. We've. Uh, but we work quite a a lot and we work in hands with the actual border patrol of the Nepalese government. So our workers are allowed to to interview people um, before they cross the border, allowed to go onto buses, and if they see anything funny, they'll ask those people to be removed and then be, be, uh, be able to take them aside and actually interview them and work out why are they crossing the border. Is this really your uncle? Or is this somebody that you've just met? And, and the traffickers, like, like in certain countries uh, um, that neighboring to Nepal, that, that the Nepalese girls are in high demand because of their skin complexion and the way they look that's different from what the people are used to in those countries. Countries And so some of these countries, when these girls get trafficked across, it's like a needle and a haystack, they disappear. And, and the traffickers will use so many different tricks to get them to cross that border. So whether it is promising them work, whether it's setting up fake profiles on Facebook, and then you've got this good-looking young guy, 16-year-old or 14-year-old that's infiltrated the Facebook communities. Because one thing you've got to remember is when even the poorest of the poor, people will... They'll own a mobile phone, and so they infiltrate these uh, social media groups and act like the you know fake profile. Act like they this this very handsome, and a lot of times maybe well to do from a rich family or whatever, and then befriend this girl and this I love you and all of this. Oh, you've got to meet my family. And then basically they'll coax them to cross that border and they'll tell them, you know, if you get stop, just tell them you're visiting a friend or you're, you're going to buy some stuff across the border. So they'll tell them to even lie to the border. But once we tell them, explain to them what waits for them on the other side, a lot of times they start spilling the beans and the truth comes out. And we've stopped so many girls being trafficked across. So, and then we'll find their parents and then we'll help them because a lot of times the parents don't even know that this was going to happen. So yes, so we stop a lot of children being trafficked across the border and successfully so, and, and have, have opened up some cases, again, some of the traffickers that utilize these ways to get these children across. So yes, it's been a, prevention is way better if you can stop them. And another thing during COVID that we've also gotten involved with, which, which last time when we spoke, I didn't um, talk to you about is or I might've just mentioned it. Although it's not our business, we've actually started with food programs taking because what's happened with COVID is you'll have some of these communities you'll have the father that he's the main source of income and he might be uh, traveling around for work so they will go and work maybe in a farming community to help with the harvest and from that one they'll move to another one to another one and then and they'll just do their rounds but that way they bring income for their families but with COVID yeah, the lockdown, so they couldn't move anywhere. So you you would have have groups and, and and people that are increasingly becoming under real financial stress. And so we what we ended up doing is we went into the communities that we've seen in the past children being trafficked out of, and we've gone and spoken to the village elders and leaders in the areas which we've kind of over time they got to know us. And we asked them, which are the families that you can see that are under severe pressure? Or we will go and even investigate ourselves. And we started doing food parcel drop-offs. So real basic rice and then a few staples with it. Because we're not actually, we're not a food aid agency, but we realize if we don't step in and help them, the chances of those kids getting themselves in trouble looking for work will just increase so much more especially because their dad can't work so we started actually doing food pop- uh, drop-offs as well just to keep families together and keep them alive till everything opens up with COVID, so that they don't have to get their children to go look for work and then the other thing is a real increase for us is also we've come across unfortunately because of these conditions in COVID and family units disintegrating we started find coming across more and more children that basically, so it's got nothing to do with sex tourism, but children that are basically offering up their bodies to local pedophiles just for a meal. So just think about that. Here you've got a little child that's that desperate that they're willing to offer up their body whatever this guy wants to do just to have a meal, not money, just a meal. And so we've come across more and more. Of, so we basically just take them off the streets and, and start looking after them, because once again, uh, we you can't if you see somebody drowning, you've got to do whatever you can to help. And that's it's a new form of rescue which we call survival rescues. It's basically children finding themselves in such a bad place that just to stay alive, they're doing that. So that's not necessarily sex trafficking in its purest form, but we'll we started rescuing them as well.
0: I was going to ask you how is cuz covid must have massively changed the way that you do things because you haven't got the sex tourism at the moment that you do have yeah. it's moved online which is yes. a different kind of rescue scenario because and I know you've done a lot of work with the police in the past so well you might go undercover and rescue one or two children at a time mm. you do do Raids as well. Yeah, we do raids where we,
1: we, we get federal police units usually or police units we work closely with and we'll actually organize the raids. So if we find a place that's actively trafficking children through it, we'll actually organize a raid. Over time we've learned who to who we could work with. And so from these police units in the different countries, we'll set up the place, we'll actually get a, a lot of evidence against them and then set up a specific time frame when the police come with us and actually raid the place, the place gets shut down everybody that's been trafficked in gets it free and um, the traffickers get taken into custody. So that's a real growth area for us. We've built up the right relationships in the different countries. We've also got with this is Not only shutting down, but the rescues. But then, like I said, the border rescues or the preventative work is a real growth area for us as well. And we've also, during COVID, like you're saying, COVID, at the start of the year last year, we actually started going into online sexual exploitation of children component online. And we've actually got a video that that we can, uh, um, that I think I shared with you last time, where we rescued a two year old boy. And that was our first cyber rescue. So what happened is, if I can very quickly just go through it again, is that the English police raided a suspected pedophile's house in England, and on his mobile phone, they found a video of this two-year-old boy being molested by his stepdad. Because he bought it on the dark web, they couldn't really work out exactly where it was, but they could work out by watching it and listening to it and everything, they could work out that that was uh, a, a perpet- the act was perpetrated in the Philippines and that we was looking at a Filipino two-year-old boy and so they contacted the National Bureau of Investigation in the Philippines and they contacted us and then we went and 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 basically found the dark website infiltrated it acted like we were a pedophile that wanted to come and abuse because he was offering his, the two-year-old boy up as well as selling these these horrible videos. And we acted like we were a pedophile wanting to fly out from out of Australia. And we set up actually a sting operation in the Philippines in a, a hotel lobby. And were able to the National Bureau of Investigation was there the English police federal police sent some two, two or three of their guys across and they were in the uh, 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 lobby as well. We we made sure there were no civilians there and we set up a sting operation and rescued that little boy. Yes, so the online they went online. They also what they did is they closed created closed um, in social media groups to be able to move kids around because you still have had. There were still people, uh, although we in Australia had a real close border, but there were still people flying in from other countries into these places. And also you you still had a lot of expats that were living in these countries that were after those type of services. So we had to really learn how to work under the COVID conditions, but we had adapted well enough that we could um, keep on rescuing these children. And like I said, now we're sitting at such a high number of 2,066 just for this year alone. And it's still not the it's not even the end of the year. So yep.
0: How many staff do you have working on the ground doing this?
1: So overall, Desi Rescue obviously it fluctuates, but we've got around 236 staff and worldwide. And but the number changes, but around 236, 234. But yes, so um, we've just been in the process of bringing some extra staff on because we're actually, so the number will definitely be higher than that at the moment because we're what's happened is we've also expanded into new countries and um, we will make that, uh, uh, um, one of the countries will pretty soon will make that public knowledge. Um, At the moment, I can't mention it yet, but we've already started doing some rescues there, so we usually want to do some rescues and make sure it goes well. And then from that point, we'll actually make it public that we're there. If it's not politically sensitive where we can't mention it, but this country will be able to. But in this country, for example, we we had um, one of the first rescues, our rescue agents um, knew of a place where the, where the traffickers were actually literally uh, pimping out the children right on the side of the road. And so their investigations, they knew of one guy. And so they went there and he was standing there with these two young children. When I say young, I mean young two young girls next to him and our guys came acted like they were sex tourists and walked up to him and say, Hey, I'm told, you know, we can have our special meat needs met. And, and, and this guy literally just, just with the girls right next to him in totally hearing what he's saying, he said, well, yeah, I've got these two, which one do you want? Do you want the thick one or the thin one? Just as if they were just a piece of meat that he was selling on the side of the road. You want, Thick one or thin one? And then he went too further to say, listen, whatever you want to do with them, you can. I've broken them and I've done everything to them. They will know what to do. Sometimes the things that we come across are, is unfortunately we come across. I think we see the, now I know, we see the real dark side of humanity in a lot of places. And for a lot of these guys, these children are purely just an object to sell. Where we actually created a video where we because we, sometimes people've got to seize things to really understand what we what we face and what we see. but in the video our our undercover agent uh, so we covertly recorded this in the video, he's negotiating for this fourteen year old girl to go and youtube uh, uh, abuse her and do whatever he wanted to do for the whole night with this fourteen year old girl. So he negotiates the price. And then they, after negotiating, they said, oh, do you want to buy a beer? Just because it's, you're, a, you're a sex tourist. Well, like, oh, yeah, sure. We'll have a beer. Thank you very much. The cost of the beer was more than the cost of that 14-year-old for the whole night. For these guys, there's no difference in selling that bottle of beer or selling that child. She is just another commodity. And that's why what happens also when these children go missing for them, and that's why sometimes we can go back to the same place, rescue a child, go back to the same place. They don't blink an eyelid if that child's gone missing. one of our cases that that still, the guys involved in it still affects them, is we had organized a raid, and when we finally did the raid, we realized there was one girl missing, one 12-year-old. And we we started immediately looking for her. And the the bar manager was like, for him, it was nothing that this girl was missing. Did the ride. We went looking for her everywhere. And unfortunately, her little body was found, dumped in the alleyway. Four guys had booked her out in the hotel room, abused her, gang raped her, killed her, just dumped her little body. And she would have just been another little body found in the alleyway. Nobody would blinked an eyelid but we knew who she was, and we went looking for her and got our police help to go and look for her. And because we found her little body, it was too late for her and the horrible things that happened to her. But at least those four guys were stopped as they were basically boarding the plane to leave the country.
0: Where were they from?
1: Oh, I don't want to... Okay. I, don't, I, I don't want, yeah. I don't, just in case people take umbrage because of me mentioning, uh, 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 it's it's they were from somewhere from the northern hemisphere, sphere, if I can put it that way, yeah. Uh,
0: okay, the six tourists, Western ca- countries,
1: yeah. So, six tourists come from all over the world, mm. so they come from Germany, South Africa, Russia, um, England, Australia, New Zealand, you name it. There's not basically any Western country that they don't come from, and even your countries that are on the verge of being a western country or not. So you know we've we've even had you know people from all literally all over the world because it's so cheap to for them to come. For them it's truly just buying a, a product to fulfill their their lust and their desires. And even when you go undercover into these bars and that, that these girls, a lot of these girls they're forced to be going on these platforms and look like they're all happy, but they're not because we watch them all. But they'll have all these numbers on there, like these little white uh, um, kind of big placards they wear on either on a bikini top or whatever. Sometimes they really wear nearly next to nothing. And But they'll have these numbers. And these numbers, they'll be number 22, number 21, number five, number six. And so it's just like you're ordering a product. Okay. And the guys will, they won't connect with these girls at all. Not, they're not interested. They'll go, I'll have number five. I'll have number six. And for me, my own story that I know I've shared with you, but that's the story that's the closest one for me in my heart is when I had the privilege to go undercover with our permanent guys. Is I was sitting there and I saw this girl and she was number 43. So I called number 43 over, but she had a name. She was somebody. And here I was sitting next to number 43. And number 43 story was that she was in school with a 10-year-old sister. Life was good. Parents were working. Dad, unfortunately, suddenly dies. Accident. Very soon, she saw that her mom was struggling financially. So she, out of her own kindness, of her own heart, said, hey, mom, how about I go to the big city and find a work so that I can help you till you get on your feet? And then I'll come back to school. And that way, my 10 year old sister can just keep staying in school. You, I'm helping you. And as soon as you're on your feet, I can come back. So, in her mind, she was thinking she's going to work at a restaurant or wash dishes. That wasn't her mindset. You're a little schoolgirl, virgin, no idea. She goes, unfortunately, the wrong people got hold of her and railroaded her in to there sit and sell her little body to Dirty John's flank from all over the world. So, I'm here and I'm sitting next to number 43. And the name I've given her is Sugi. Because she, I know in the end what her real name was, but we protect them. But here I'm sitting next to Sugi. But for all these other guys, she was number 43. Just an object to fulfill whatever lust and desires they had. But for me, and for us at Destiny Rescue, she had a name. She had a dream that she used to have. She wanted to become a school teacher one day. But when we found out that she thought she'd never have that dream ever again. Sorry, my dog. His time is pickable. Ah shush. Sorry. It was
0: cockatoos when we were talking the other time.
1: Yeah, (laughs) that's right. That's right. Oh, my goodness. But, yes, so for the bar owners, for the traffickers, for the uh, sex tourists, for everybody involved in this, they're just a number, just an object to sell. Think of it, child to have the whole night to do whatever we wanted to was cheaper than a bottle of beer. I never thought we would be that's
0: the case. I I can't even comprehend to most people in Western countries. You can't comprehend that. Why is it the case?
1: Because because this might be a touchy subject for certain people. And you know, for me kind of but I think one of the things is pornography has really got a role to play where if you've got young, even young boys starting to grow up and they, pornography is all they see and they feed themselves on it, it takes the female and creates her just purely, it desensitizes to a point where that a girl is purely there as a fulfillment of a desire and lust. It objectifies a woman to a point where she's only an object. There's no difference between her and this bottle or this phone or a bottle of beer. It desensitizes it to a point where guys will start seeing these girls. And we know because we're undercover, as these guys go there, they try, they go there to fulfill these fantasies they've created, but it all started by watching stuff and basically just creating this hardness of heart and mind where they just see these girls as purely as fulfilling. And they'll tell themselves these, these stories, and even the bar, some of these bar owners will tell themselves these stories that, oh, no, I'm helping I'm helping uh, children that, you know, they need work, and they're there because they want to be there. None of these girls want to be there. That's the last thing. For me, I just flip it around. All right. I said, all right, you, if you've got a child, and you were a child yourself, do you think a child ever dreams of wanting to be involved in that? to be having to sell their little bodies to guys that fly in from all over the world and sometimes having to force to sleep with 20, 30 different men in one day. Some of these places, we I tell you, we, we've had girls where we literally within five minutes from meeting them offered them to rescue them and they said yes. And all their trust had been broken all the way, but it was that bad for them that they're willing to take another chance even if it might mean it, it will end up in death. They don't care anymore. They need whatever help they could get, they would take. And then to see them when they realize that what we were telling them is the truth and we take them to the rescue center to see the elation and the relief. Like I told you before, I think when I shared with you before, is that most of our girls then will sleep for two days flat out. Once we show them, here's a bed that they can sleep in, this is your bed. And it's a sa- they realize it's a safe place and a safe bed for the first time in a long, long time that they don't have to worry. What are those footsteps that they come down the hallway? What is that creak on the door handle? But to know this is a safe bed, and for the first time, they can truly just sleep. Yeah, so to answer your question, I never thought we would live in a society where we have reduced the value of a human being down to being purely a commodity. Before I got involved with this rescue and my, um, my wife and our journey started being donors, I, I th- you would think that. That slavery was like happened in the 1600s, 1700s, and that was done by. But unfortunately, it's gone way worse. In those days, you had to be rich to actually own a slave. It, in today's money, they guesstimated it would cost you around thirty dollars or $40,000 to buy a slave, to own a slave. But you can now buy a human being for 90 bucks. Something is wrong. <laughs> That's, but we can't sit back and go, the problem's too big. It's too we can't do anything. No, we each one can make a change. I forgot who the quote was, but it said evil persists when good people do nothing. Mm-hmm. Each one of us can make a difference. And for us, definitely destiny rescue. We want, we, our big goal is that we want to see the end of trafficking, sex trafficking of children in our lifetime. It's a huge ask, but for, for us, that's, we believe no child should be, forced to have sex with adults, and especially in such a commercial way, to be robbed of their dignity, of their freedom, and forced to do something they never, ever dreamt they would have to do. So for us, yes, we focus on the one. It's that one child at a time. I've sat next to a child and saw across literally oh, just a two meters, three meters away from me, a guy doing something to a girl that you would only expect to see be done behind closed doors, but doing it right there amongst all the guys in there. And everything in you wants to go just grab hold of that guy and just rip him off that girl. But, you know, we know for I can't do anything at that moment to break our undercover because this girl next to me will lose a chance to be rescued. How
0: can people support you? You've got a campaign on at the moment, haven't you?
1: Yes, yes, we do. So our campaign is called Bring Her Home. It's our Christmas campaign. We, we've, uh, we're have we fortunate that we've had some of our wonderful donors that actually have contributed to like a bucket for, for a matching campaign. So if you donate to this campaign $1, they'll match it. So we've been very fortunate that we... Uh, uh, um, our donors are moms and dads, and we're a tier one not-for-profit, so it is uh, tax tax-deductible giving. And if you go on our uh, um, our website, we've actually got our financials because we get audited, and our latest reports for the previous financial year will show that that we've. Um, that around eighty-one percent of finances race goes. where it's supposed to go to, on our financials. Like I said, it's on our website. You'll see this. This this. We don't get government money from any governments. There's, you'll see there in last year's financials. It shows grants, and that was basically JobKeeper, because like our giving dropped like everybody else's during COVID, and so JobKeeper kicked in. So that's what those grants are. So if, if people look at it and they go grants, that's, but we've never had any other than JobKeeper, we've never had any government help, um, although we help governments, but it's just the nature of where we are. So we've got this um, matching bucket, uh, Christmas campaign. And so we've actually, I've got a video that I've included in, and it's actually one of our girls that we had rescued that's now older, but she was willing to actually tell a story and not even... We usually blur their faces to protect them all the way, but she, she was she really wanted the people to see her story. So it's a short video, sixty seconds, but it's a short video, just her sharing a little bit of her journey. So please watch it, and in it, it's it takes you, uh, it will take you to a link, and it'll show it will be for the Christmas uh, campaign, and the whole thing is it's called Bring Her Home. The whole idea is. We've got so many children out there that are waiting for us to come and find them. Like I said, that little girl that turned to our rescue agent and looked at him and pointed a little finger in his face and said, where were you? Where were you when they took me? Where were you when they forced me to sleep with these strangers? Where were you? There's so many thousands of those children still out there waiting for somebody to come across their path and rescue them. And so for us, is bringing them, bring her home. We want to bring her home, whether it's bringing her home to our rescue centres or bringing her home where she can actually go back to her family, be reunited with them. So, yeah, that's our campaign, bring her home.
0: Mark, thank you so much. It's, I can't say it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure to see you, but this is always harrowing. But it's oh, something that I'm – it's got to stop. It has to stop. Totally. Like, we have to take responsibility for what's going on here.
1: Totally. And I'm just so grateful that you're willing to have me again. And I know it's a, so for, for those that might've heard us me for a few times through you, or the first time they're hearing me is, I know it's a tough topic, but we need to be able to bring it, the more we talk about it and bring it out in the light, it's just the more we expose these things, the more we, people realize this is a problem we've got to take action the more we'll, quicker we'll get to finding a solution, permanent solution for all of this. In the meantime, we're going to rescue as many as we can. And we can only do that through wonderful supporters who donate to us. But for those that have donated to us, I just want to say your biggest thank you from the bottom of my heart. And I know, Karen, you've been, you've helped us. And so I just want to say thank you so much from the bottom of my heart because every bit of money helps and makes a difference. And if you think of it, that one girl, like the one you'll watch the video of, she's now in a wonderful place, got a career, got work. Her life is like a total 180 degrees different from where we found her and where she was. She was a place of no hope, and a place of darkness, and now she's in a place where she is in control of her own destiny. And donors might never meet the girls at the end of the day, but no. One thing they know is they made a difference in somebody else's life. So yeah, I just want to thank you so much. I know it's a tough topic, but I love talking about it purely because I can. I've been involved, and I see where these girls end up. I've been in our rescue centres. I've I've met the girls that are now. One, I've met a couple of girls of our girls that were training up to become patisserie chefs. You know, so there's so many different areas that go and to think where, and I've been also where they have been. I've been where, where we find them in these bars, but I've also been on the other side where they've gotten on with their lives and they've got these beautiful lives and they've got their own families. And, and that's a distant, distant memory where we found them.
0: It's fantastic. Thank you so much, Mark
1: no problems at all thank you so much for listening to me again and <laughs> again My but way. yeah i really appreciate i really appreciate you uh, giving this opportunity just to talk once again about what we do
0: you're very welcome and
1: and I just wish you and and your 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 listeners and viewers just uh absolute wonderful merry Christmas may they have a blessed time and you also with your families and your loved ones this is awesome time I love christmas and for me it's just a great family time and and I love putting up the Christmas trees and, you know, my wife's always going to stop me not putting in too early and then I'm the one that, probably one of the last ones that wants to take it down. It's just for me such a sweet, beautiful time. So thank you so much and bless everybody that's watching this and listening to this and may you guys have a wonderful, merry, wonderful Christmas. Thank you so much.
0: You are welcome. And to everybody that's listening and watching, if you want to do something other than just spend some money in the shops, which I know the shops need it right now, but yeah. (laughs) donate to destiny rescue because they make a massive difference
1: thank you so much thank you all
0: thanks for joining us this week on menopause marriage and motherhood make sure you subscribe to the show on your favorite player and while you're at it we'd love you to leave us a rating on itunes or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show that would be amazing too Be sure to tune in next week for the next episode. And remember, if you're busy thinking about what you can't have, how on
1: earth are you going to enjoy what you can have? See you next week.